there is a divergence coming, something that alters the future I'm from. It's possible either you or the person you are protecting is of great importance to that future. Interesting. Because that person, Jean-Luc Picard, is apparently your ancestor. Transfer complete. Hello and welcome to Subspace Transmissions, the podcast where two Trek fans step into the arena and tackle the best, worst, weirdest, wildest, and everything in between that Star Trek has to offer. I'm Cam Smith and joining me on the bridge. This is Tyler Orton being dispatched to babysit my ancestor. <laughs> and we are here this week to tackle the latest episode of Picard, Fly Me to the Moon. I feel like I've heard that phrase before on Star Trek. Uh, yeah, it has some familiarity there. Uh, Cam, uh, is it fair to say that this show has kind of gone off the rails? Uh, mm, has it gone off the rails, well, or is well, it just slowly proceeding down the same rails? I don't know. I, I guess not in terms of plot or story you know i think they can take it wherever they want and you know we, we saw in season one uh with say an episode like nepenthe or data's goodbye you know the, the show is capable of doing some really cool great things and i'm not saying the show still can't do that but i, I guess by off the rails uh, I, in terms of storytelling or this is just confirmation that the show is off the rails in terms of storytelling and a lack of you know vision you know it's the writers don't really seem to have much of a clue when it comes to telling a good story for this medium of television that that we're watching right here. You know, they keep obscuring motivations of antagonists like we, we, we have with Q this season. And last year we saw that with Romulans. And I think the writers are like, yeah, we're making a compelling mystery. Uh, well, I don't know. I I... I I still think it just means that we're not invested in the you know goals of the antagonists if we don't know what those goals are. So it seems as if you know Q. I don't know. He wants to teach Picard about love. It, is that what you gather? <laughs> you know, like I mean, I, I, that's as good an answer as any. Okay, I mean he's doing it in a really roundabout way that involves Data's human ancestor and Picard's ancestor that's uh convenient somehow and, and and they they both happen to live in Los Angeles cam um uh-huh but it, it's also clear that the show just is completely all over the place and it doesn't really have much of a raise on Dectra you know we, we saw things like what was the point of Rios getting injured this season it is to teach us that ice is bad right I, I don't know it's that, and it's also something, and we can dive into it with this specific episode, but just like a lot of manufactured crises, and frequently they're throughout an episode just to create these fake cliffhangers for commercial breaks that don't exist for most people. Um, and I, I mean, the ice thing was kind of that. It put him in peril for a cliffhanger at the end of an episode. They created a few situations where characters had to get him out of problems, that's really about it because it feels like it didn't have any interest in exploring that as a deeper issue. How did it happen? What does it mean to society going forward? It's just like Rios is trapped. How do we get him out? Exactly. And that's what Raffi and Seven had to do is like, let's brute force our way 
to getting Rios out of this predicament. And so what what we're seeing though, and we saw that with kind of I guess the first you know, six minutes of a caper or something before they just stopped at the very end of the episode. But they're giving characters missions to complete, but not really journeys to go on. And look, I, I'll give you an example here. It, it, it's not a great episode of TNG, but I think that's kind of the point here. It's, um, do you remember Homeward from season seven in which uh, Worf's brother played, by, obviously played by Paul Servino, the one that uh, he, he comes onto the scene here? <laughs> That was typecasting, wasn't it? <laughs> well, obviously, yeah. But, you know, like, here's the deal, though. Like, uh, Starfleet has a mission to transfer the inhabitants of a uh, of a planet that's about to be destroyed over to a new planet while kind of obfuscating that fact because they're more primitive. And, uh, you know, Starfleet was originally going to let them perish. So that's kind of their mission in that episode. That That's Worf's mission, you know, but that, that's the plot, right? Yeah. But the story... Or the journey is about Worf coming to grips with his own internal conflicts about duty, be it to his family or to his job. Now, even a lame episode of TNG that's not, you know, particularly effective, uh, it still has a very basic understanding of character-based storytelling, where what we're getting so far with Picard, I, I like the first episode uh, to a certain degree. I-, I I did like episode two, some interesting things, but so far, just like the last three episodes, it's just the self-satisfied plot machinations going on and just those wild swings in tone you know make the episode kind of nonsensical here you go from that lame if you want to call it action set piece with busting rios out of ice then you got kind of the horror show going on with the french cop encountering the boar queen and then all of a sudden it's it's a jolly caper in which there's actually no resolution whatsoever. You know, I, I, I get to the end of this episode and there's nothing holistic about this story at all. It just felt like, you know, uh, it, it's one cog in the plot machine that was arbitrarily just cut off because they want a cliffhanger with Agnes, uh, the new board queen or, or whatever. But I, I, I'm very frustrated at this point in the season after having some high hopes in the first two. And, and of course, we're still stuck in L.A. at this point. So th- there's my little rants there. Um, what are, what, what's your overall takeaway on episode five, Fly Me to the Moon? Maybe you're more positive than I am here. I would say uh, positive. Is that the word? I think the problem is we've dealt with some borderline horrendous episodes of Star Trek Discovery. And jumping over to Picard none of them are necessarily grabbing me in the way that the great Star Trek stories of yore have. But as compared to the Discovery wheel spinning, which really, really just frustrated the hell out of me, Picard is more of like the somewhat acceptable version of that where I go, yeah, like this season is clearly too long. Like 10 episodes was too long. They didn't have 10 episodes of story. And so every episode is about like three or four cliffhanger moments and a revelation at the end will carry us into the next episode and yet I don't feel like enough happened in this episode to justify it being one hour of television it's I mean we're already down to I think this should have been maybe an eight episode season maybe by the end of the 10 episodes I'll be like it should have been like a five or a six episode season um and like this was a short episode you remove the previously on and the credits I think it's like 30 Six minutes or something like that? Maybe is less? It the shortest, is it the shortest episode of Star Trek, uh, not counting the animated episodes? Okay, I know that, like, Vaulting Ambition from Discovery was super short. It might have been, like, 38 minutes or something. Okay, yeah. I think that that one might have the record in terms of hour-long Star Trek shows, because obviously the animated shows and short treks are a whole other 
you know, ball of wax. But this one, I, I guess the one thing I appreciated was it started introducing elements that felt like they might shake up what we're going to do in the preceding next couple episodes because I was getting real worried it was going to be just more of the same for an extended period of Agnes and the Borg Queen on the ship, the ice subplot, maybe Picard spending time with, you know, um, the supervisor here. But, like, it didn't feel like we were changing things up, or at least now we'll have new stories to stretch out <laughs> past their uh, sell-by date. But, so, uh, yeah, as an episode of television, it was thoroughly, thoroughly mediocre, but I didn't have, like, a visceral anger. It was just more of kind of the shoulder shrug of, like, I just... I don't think this works as weekly TV. I know what you're saying about like not having like the visceral anger. I, I did not have that. I, I, for me, it's mostly sadness, and it's mostly like, hey, I don't care what's going to happen next. And I think that's far more damning than a terrible episode of television, because at least that's getting a reaction out of me. I'm just convinced that they, they really just... The, the writers are so self-satisfied, and this is also just pretentious storytelling because I bet they're thinking in their heads like, oh, well, we've reverse-engineered everything that uh, we need to do, so just wait until we get to the very end and everybody will be patting us on the back. So I'm like, you know, if you're not making, like, a good episode, one-episode adventure or journey, you know, um, you, you've kind of failed at your job here. And this was not a, like, there's no holistic themes being explored that they're, they're scraping at little plot points like like you you can't like i i can grab an episode like homeward and i can say oh yeah that's the uh wharf and his brother episode and with this one fly me to the moon it's like oh yeah this is the uh seven and raffi break rios out of ice and then the boar queen is able to get out uh, get a cop over and start to assimilate agnes and then they have a caper going on and then picard briefly meets up with uh, the watcher and i'm just uh, and there, <laughs> there's a gary seven or i should say gary gary seven reference um this is just like uh just a complete mess i i i'm happy to say that this is an absolute like cacophony uh, of storytelling here and there's like just no strong vision going on and this is not what good television is nowadays like look at the best shows on tv you know atlanta just came back they tell a complete story every single episode and you know it's not as if everything's cliffhanger 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 it shows a lack of confidence on the part of the writers if they don't think people are going to keep tuning in because there's not cliffhangers every single moment and their whole thing is selling this as like a 10-hour movie right like that's the common phrase you know the common term you've mentioned and, you know, I was re-watching The Batman yesterday, which is a three-hour movie. That's really long. And the way Picard often seems like it's running is, it'll all mean something at the end. Well, you can watch the movie The Batman, and it doesn't uh, mean that the movie only gets interesting when the Riddler's big scheme is revealed at the end. It's like they're finding ways to inject, you know, drama, um character motivation throughout almost every scene of the movie and making each scene feel alive on its own. Whereas when I watch Picard, it feels like a lot of wheel spinning and a lot of characters sitting around just talking about the plot, which is what we got a lot here with Picard and the supervisor, where they're just like, okay, so what could be going on? Okay, you have an ancestor. Okay, fine. Like, it's just setting up plot elements without, like, what does this mean to Picard? Why doesn't Picard talk about his brother Rene and how this haunts him or something? Like, just give me something that's character-driven 
versus like just people sitting there explaining what is the status quo and what could it mean for the foreseeable future. That's just not interesting. And this is a show built around Picard. This is the final journey of Picard, guys. Why why are we spending so many scenes of Picard isolated from the supporting cast? He's not even dealing with any of them anymore. He's just sit, like hanging out with um you know guest stars talking about the plot. Well, that's just the problem. It, everything it's it, it's not organic drama. It's artificial inconveniences wedged in there. You know, I, I think about like the the Borg Queen and the cloak ship storyline. It, it's all it is is let's let dumb things happen to introduce artificial conflict. It's not related to the overall themes being explored. It's just this is how the writers want to go about getting to whatever reverse engineered plans that they have in store for Agnes moving forward. And honestly, just leaving the Borg Queen left so unchecked like that to a ridiculous degree. It's like, do the writers not know how stupid this is? Like, it, it's it's almost insulting to think that people would just be, like, brushing it by or, or that they think that this would qualify as good storytelling. I was actually scratching my head about that, that Agnes was sleeping down on the Picard Chateau on the couch and the Borg Queen just has free reign of the ship. I know she's without legs and kind of strapped up, but nonetheless, that seemed stupid by any measure. I Remember that cone of silence that uh, Michael Burnham had this past season? What, what, why didn't they give that to the Borg Queen? It doesn't seem as if, you know, it's really 31st century technology. I'm sure that already exists here in the uh, 25th century. Well, think of all the times on Star Trek where a character did something that was disobedient in some way and they get thrown in the brig with, like, the, you know, protective wall and all that sort of stuff. Whereas the Borg Queen, they're like, eh, she's fine. Don't worry about it. She'll be fine. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Don't tell me there's not a brig somewhere on this uh, this Confederation uh, ship that they're on, right? You know, um, I'm sure they could jimmy something. Yeah. Cam uh, Q, he's menacing this year. Um, he's not very fun, and I don't know. I, I the, the one laugh I got was when um, Picard and you know, uh, I guess Orla Brady's character, they're watching the uh, the very intimate uh, therapy scene, and <laughs> Picard jumps up. And he's like, that's not a therapist in my head. <laughs> uh, I, I went to Crocodile Dundee and I wanted to say, that's a knife. Now that's a knife. You know, it's kind of like, um, you know, th this just seems like a, just a complete mess. And I'm sure that the writers are like, oh, no, just wait until you get to the end. Well, guess what? Like, uh, what, what happens if I stop watching as of this episode and I never get to the end there? Then I, I look back at this one particular episode, and it's just like, yeah, this is a nothing burger. That this adds up to absolutely nothing. Well, I talked about um, Picard season one and how I had friends and coworkers who just bailed on the show, you know, four or five episodes in. And so you cannot make the justification of, oh no, it all meant something at the end. And we both know that, you know, the end of Picard uh, season one was pretty uh, rocky. But nonetheless, like the showrunners can make that argument if people aren't interested enough to continue. And I do think. Picard season two did a pretty good job of pulling people back who maybe had given up in season one and they're saying, you know, they were kind of, as you said, uh, back at the time in, you know, weeks ago, saying all the right things. And I think the promos were pretty smart. And so people were probably tuning in like, oh, okay, you know what? I didn't like season one. I bailed on that, but I really want to see Q. I really want to see Guinan. Um, boy, this, uh, nothing's really happening. Um, 
Hmm. Well, you know what? I think I'm just going to check out because I didn't really like season one either. Well, what would be the compelling reason for somebody to keep returning at this point? Like, I don't get it. Cam, we are at the halfway mark of this season. Th- does it feel like that somehow? Like, we're this is a Stardust City rag of uh, season two. It is an improvement on Stardust City Rag, although true, I was having um, flashbacks to Stardust City Rag where they were getting ready for the gala um, at the end of this episode. And I'm like, wait a second, we were getting ready for a party in Star- Stardust City Rag. Yeah, well, they had the caper like in Stardust City Rag there, and they started introducing a caper uh, and then stopped abruptly, like at the, you know, 39.52 minute mark there. I was just like, uh, okay, okay, you know. Uh, okay, Cam. Clearly, the, 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 the creators, they, they like Orla Brady, they like Isobrionis, but doesn't it just feel as if they're wedging in performers that they like very arbitrarily to play entirely different characters? I, I can understand that with Spiner, because it's kind of this um, pre-established um, uh, family lineage in which everyone looks identical, <laughs> but this to me, it's just, it's, it's kind of silly sort of stuff going on here. Like, I, I still don't understand why... This watcher looks identical to Laris, save for the ears. Yeah, they really hand waved that one away. Um, I, I have no idea because you could say, in theory, that these supervisors are whatever you know the person perceiving them sees. But in that case, she would have the ears because Picard would be thinking of Laris, right? You remove the ears, and it all just completely crumbles. I, I think Orla Brady's a good actress. I would have. I don't know, just like to have seen either more Laris or just have her as a supervisor from day one. Either way, because this was just kind of confusing. Um, as for the Isa Brionis as Kor Soong, I don't know. I, I, I'm just scratching my head because, like, the fact that this character was, um, you know, uh, not this character, but Isa Brionis played Soji and um, Dodge early on in Picard. It's like, okay, Data created them. They were like his daughter, but what are the odds he'd be pulling from like the files of someone from like 300 years earlier about their daughter who had an illness like regarding the son and heir? That seems like a bit of a stretch. I'm sure they'll hand wave it somehow, you know, uh, but but it's just also kind of confirmation that they had no story left to tell when it came to Soji and it also just reemphasizes what a lack of a vision. Like, this is not an art, a tour-driven TV show, and those are the best shows that are out there right now. You know, this is, you know, I, I guess Soji's story, uh, as uncompelling as it was last season, I, I guess it came to an end, and, uh, you know, props to them for not trying to wedge her in artificially somehow, but, well, I say that, but they artificially wedged in the actress, not the character, and I'm just, it, it's so frustrating uh, for me. Because, again, I, I just... This is not confident storytelling, or and it's certainly a sign that it's people that are just kind of like um, guessing as they go. And I think the Adam Soong one would be much more egregious to people if it wasn't Brent Spiner. If this was someone who was in season one Picard, they just brought back in the same role, it would feel just as awkward. But even that said, like, really? Another Soong? Like, this is what we're hinging our season on again? It just feels kind of lazy. Um, was there stuff? that you liked in this one? Like, moments that jumped out to you? To be honest, my jaw dropped when the Gary 7 reference happened because I <laughs> joked about that in the last episode. Yeah. <laughs> and I-, I was literally bowled over. And to have 
Picard saying, oh, yes, I remember Kirk dealt with Gary. I'm like, are you out of your mind? Like, what is this show? I mean, I appreciate a lot them trying to find meaning in that fever dream that was Assignment Earth. And um, friend of the show, Scott Hardy, we, I was talking to him about this episode earlier, and he was saying, wouldn't it be amazing if it was revealed that, like, the entity that Orla Br Brady is playing is also Isis the Cat? And maybe I pitched that maybe at the end of the season she could have a scene of just walking away as a cat, and I would be over the moon for that. But, uh, I mean, honestly, this was an element of Star Trek canon. I just, I never thought we'd be revisiting well, there, there was that reference that Soong had with regards to uh, having to be uh, fending off emails from Rich Eris's, uh requesting that they clone effing cats uh, for him. So maybe maybe there is kind of a cat reference that we can dig a little uh, too deeply into, right? I mean, I am down for that. Um, I kind of liked as well the Agnes shooting the Borg Queen with the shotgun. I was like... It felt like a moment I thought they were going to talk their way out of just to drag out the board queen longer as this figure just, you know, making threats throughout. And the fact that there was at least temporary finality, I was like, oh, that's actually kind of interesting. I didn't see that coming. But then sort of the setup that she'll be sort of this imaginary friend um, going forward kind of just opens that can back up. But I, in that moment, I was like, oh, that's kind of an interesting call. I didn't expect them to make. Well, speaking of imaginary friends, uh, Rafi has one in this episode, and his name is Elnor, which I'm like, oh, God, like, how bad is this show? It's like, this is just such kind of hacky writing where it's just like, oh, I'm having visions of the person I lost. And, you know, I'm just like, are we going to have to deal with Rafi, you know, seeing things for the remainder of the season? Is that how, <laughs> yet again, it's another um, familiar performer playing a different uh, character ever so briefly in this situation. I'm just like, oh, guys, come on. you Stop going down to that well. Um, I, I, I gotta ask you this. Um, Orla Brady's American accent, or accent, I don't know. Did it jump out to you as particularly terrible? I am the worst with accents. So unless it's something like a Keanu Reeves in Bram Stoker's Dracula or Kevin Costner in Robin Hood, or something like that. Like, one of the ones that everyone kind of really notices, I'm just really bad. But I do tend to find actors um, who aren't, you know, American-born tend to do just, like, a very, very flat accent. So I'm guessing that's kind of what she was going for there. Well, no, her accent kept drifting back to being Irish. It was, like, right. one second it was American, and then uh, when she would, like, kind of raise her uh, voice or her consonants, uh, oftentimes it went... Because I think, like, the American accent is a little bit more nasally, or the North American accent, and she would rely on kind of, she'd overemphasize the nasally parts, and when that happened, she would kind of fall back into that kind of uh, Irish brogue for a, a, a moment or two. It's, it's very distracting. Uh, she's a space alien. Not everyone can be perfect. I just don't think it was um, uh, intentional on the part of uh, the performer, though. But why the accent? Like, it's not necessary. Why make the actor struggle through an accent? Well, what, what, why is Orla Brady even playing this character? I don't know. Like, it makes no sense. No, because that's something also, going back to Assignment Earth, they never established, I mean, that episode established some crazy things that didn't make any sense, but they never at any point indicated that Gary Seven was someone who adopted different appearances or anything like that. I guess you've got the cat that people could see in different forms, but Gary Seven, who was the supervisor, you never got that indication. Yeah. 
Okay. Um, I did like the shout out to uh, the Rojenko family. You know, I, I mentioned uh, Worf's brother, but uh, did you notice when uh, Soon was getting his license revoked that there was uh, a, a little placard there? Not a placard, but uh, a little name uh, tag in front of one of the doctors there uh, next to Leah Thompson, but it was one Dr. Uh, Vasily Rojenko, which I was like, oh, okay, so, you know, the Worf's family gets around Earth uh, back in the day. That, that, that's all right. I did not catch that. Oh, good. I, I was too distracted by Leah Thompson. So that's yeah, fair enough. Yeah, that's fun. Um, Cam, so so are are we to just take away like Q is actively meddling in humanity? Is that what's going on right now? That is what it seems to be. Um, I I feel like we're going to have a lot of this season is going to be a Picard meeting up with his ancestor Renee and giving the sort of classic Picard inspirational speeches to get her on that ship and run the mission to fix the timeline. But I am just genuinely baffled by what Q is doing. It's the sort of thing, you know how there was like that whole trope for a while of bad guys getting captured in movies on purpose so that they could pull out the rug from heroes? Um, we saw that even in Discovery when uh, Laurel mm-hmm. kind of... Uh, well, actually, no, didn't we think that was going on with Laurel? And then we realized, no, she had no plan whatsoever. I think that was the case, yeah. But we saw it with Loki and Avengers and Joker and Dark Knight. But, like, the bad examples of that were where it was very muddy and you genuinely didn't know what the villain was doing. And that's what's going on with Q. So, like, you ask me what it seems like Q is doing... It's very difficult to say. It just feels like he's meddling, and I have no sense whatsoever of what the greater point is because we talked about this, I think it was last week, how Q had had very little input on the season whatsoever other than brief appearances. So how am I supposed to read anything into Q other than he's doing Q-like things, which says not a lot about the storytellers. Is he doing Q-like things? Like, it's... Like, this is a very menacing cue, but it, like I said earlier, it's not a very fun cue as we're used to. And, and even if you go to an episode like All Good Things, Q wasn't really meddling with the course of humanity. It was, you know, kind of the uh, the creation of, the, I think it was like that anti-time anomaly. And it was Q mostly kind of uh, giving Picard kind of the opportunity to fix things. It wasn't Q that really causes problems. The... Uh, the uh, different enterprises and the, the the Pasteur as well that was creating this. And so, I don't know, here it seems as if he's actively trying to get this Europa mission thwarted and that will change the course of history or something. Like, I, I, I don't know. Like, it, it doesn't seem as if he's trying to help humanity. And we had that moment at the end of the previous episode where he was snapping his fingers and it wasn't working. And, of course, they've got to drag that out so they never have any moment acknowledging that in this episode. But that just makes me then go backwards and go, okay, so Renee is going to this, you know, therapist that is apparently Q. How did he get in that room with her? If he doesn't have his powers, like, was he forging credentials? Was he, like... (laughs) <laughs> did he have the time to go through you know psychology school like what is the scenario that leads to him being the psychiatrist and also establishing enough of a trust with her that she's continuing probably to see him as a psychiatrist or psychologist i'm not exactly sure it just doesn't make any sense uh it's she needed a substitute therapist that day and he was able to 
squeeze in somehow. I it, it just, but but the other thing is that the fact that we're even debating what's going on, I I don't like this aspect of kind of modern television. It's where people run to Reddit threads and they treat every episode as if it's a problem to be solved. And we have like a lot of creators kind of engage in that. But I don't know. I I just remember. Like, I'd rather instead of like TV being something to be solved. I'd rather it be something to be interpreted, you know, and like, remember, there's all that speculation that, well, obviously, you idiots, um, the Borg Queen is Picard's mom, and I remember, I was on a Facebook thread, and people were, like, very, very adamant that that was the case, and I, I was just posting, like, uh, it could be for a whole list of different reasons why the Borg Queen's face is obscured, and people were like, absolutely not, it's impossible, and I was just like, well, okay, I mean, like, I, I wasn't gonna get engage with this sort of stuff but I, I mean i don't know I, I i don't like the fact that instead of people just kind of like sitting back and trying to take what's going in it's like we must fix this rubik's cube as soon as like before it's revealed to us by the television creators and i'm just like oh, okay but how does that replay when you go back and binge watch a season like are you going to try to stop between episodes and try to figure it out on your own like i don't know it's just it's not a good trend for television and if you rewatch it are you going to be that interested in picard's flashbacks to his trauma with his mother probably not um and but but i i, I think it, it's very clear at this point it's not picard's mom who's the board queen right I, I i think i know who it is um yeah yeah i think there's a very clear reason why they didn't show the face in the first episode yeah and I think if this episode is uh, any indication, we know why that is. And I think it's probably going to... I, the thing is... Why, why are you not just saying it, Cam? I mean, yeah, like, yeah. It's obviously like Agnes Gerardi. Yeah, right? yeah. It's Agnes Gerardi. And so then the question becomes, how long do they drag that out before they reveal it? If everyone's already figured it out. I think there's actually people like speculating on it hard um, last week just because of the uh, conversation the board queen was having with Agnes. And, uh, you know, I'm just like, okay, you know, like, sure. Like, if the audience is ahead of you, you know, remember the whole like Vogue versus Ash Tyler deal? And, you know, once the audience gets ahead of you, um, the show really loses its power. And I'm just like, so what's even the point of this? I would have been far more interested in what was going on with uh, Ash Tyler had I known that it was Vogue inside the entire time, you know, like uh, watching a character like that um, subconsciously wrestling what was going on. I, I find that far more interesting than the, uh, hey, let's pull the rug out from underneath you, even though you figured it out, you know, four episodes earlier. And maybe we can have a conversation about the character of Agnes Gerardi. This character, we liked what they were doing with her at the start of this season. It felt like they had a better sense of how to use this character. But... If this character is winding up as the Borg Queen, what is the journey of Agnes Gerardi over two seasons of this show? It's kind of insane. She's a cyberneticist who will always be alone unless she has a collective behind her cam. That is her journey, right? Right? And will always somehow wind up in a unbelievably traumatic situation. In the first case, it was, you know, murdering her lover. Um, and now we're going to have her infected by nanoprobes and becoming the Borg Queen. Like, I don't really... And this is not something Star Trek does most of the time. You can say O'Brien has his Torture O'Brien episodes, but they're also... There's like a resolution to it, and we move on, and the character has many more moments where he's not being tortured. It's just like those specific episodes, and I know Riker has a fair number of episodes where, you know, unfortunate things happen to him as well, like Shades of Grey. But um, 
Agnes Gerardi is a character who seems to exist solely for bad things to happen to her. You really don't have the kind of the upbeat moments. It's a lot of, hey, she seems funny. Oh, oh, we're getting darker and darker and darker. Okay, we got to drag her through the mud again. Honestly, like, whatever they do with her, I'm kind of, as much as I like Alison Pill as an actress, if they're going to keep doing this, I prefer they just write her out at the end of season two because I do not need to see a, another grim, dark Agnes Gerardi season three story. Well, what she's the Borg queen just uh, hanging out on uh, La Serena once again, like, uh, yeah. <laughs> but I, I don't know. It seems as if like, yet again they've kind of reverse engineered what they want to do, and there's some sort of causality loop in which she becomes Borg queen and goes through time or whatever. She's in charge of the collective, and I think they legit want to make peace with the Federation, uh, the the Borg that is. And I'm just like, th- we're on episode five. And I think I've made a reasonable guess as to what's going to happen. And if my guess comes even close, I'm just like, well, I don't know. It just kind of sucks all the air uh, of whatever tension they were trying to build, you know, like um, earlier in the season and where they would want to go with this. I just, I don't know. I, this is not the kind of storytelling, if you even want to call it storytelling, but it's not the forward plot movements that I find particularly compelling. No, and I just don't understand when I get the teaser at the end of this one for this, like, Mission Impossible-esque caper they have to run, that there's nothing in the past, you know, three episodes that couldn't have been condensed into two episodes. Like, why not just build an episode around this caper? That could be really fun. I mean, the caper in uh, Stardust City Rag didn't work at all, but that doesn't mean you can't do one. I think of Bada Bang Bada Bang, that one's great. So, like, why not have an episode built around that versus this where it feels like it's just introducing it just to slash to black and credits? It's like, are you kidding? Like, it it just is very clear they're not writing episodes. They're writing chunks. And here you go. Here's another chunk. Okay, so this is chunk number five. I like that. Uh, honestly, I, I think uh, episode one stands on its own. Episode two stands on its own. I think the past three episodes could have all very, very, very easily been condensed into one chunk, as you call it. Yeah, uh, and I'm just really hoping when we get to the end, it doesn't feel like there was four or five of them that could have been combined. Yeah. Um. Well, I don't know. I, as we wind up here, well, maybe we should talk about kind of uh, strange new worlds in just a moment. We had some uh, new marketing campaign stuff going on here. But um, Renee Picard, she has access to this beautiful palatial estate in the, you know, the, uh, the French countryside. And instead, she's kind of living in L.A. I don't know. I, I don't know why she would allow the, uh, the Picard vineyard uh, go to waste and, as kind of a, uh, a crash site for another spaceship. That's an excellent question. I I don't understand that either. The Picard Vineyard just being completely desolate for a long period of time. I don't know. If you've got property like that, someone's going to take it at some point, right? Well, that's, well, yeah, the Nazis did, remember? Well, that's true. That's true. <laughs> yeah. Um, what a coincidence. Picard has a ancestor who's also an astronaut. Um, That is also, yeah, again, we got some more retconning here. I mean, I guess it's not really retconning because it's just not been acknowledged in the past, but that this, you know, ancestor played such a vital role, apparently, in the Europa mission. He also had an ancestor, remember, in uh, Journey's End, it was revealed that one of Picard's ancestors was a Spanish conquistador, and... um, (laughs) 
it's we coming also back found now. Out, <laughs> yeah, I, I think it was in uh, Generations we found out that um, he had a, uh, a, a a sailor ancestor who fought in like the Battle of Waterloo or something. I I, I don't know. I, I'm getting it mixed up, but like I don't know. It's like he's got some ancestors. Oh, uh, in Generations, there's the uh, Picards that uh, colonized. Mars. Um, I wouldn't necessarily call them uh, astronauts so much as colonizers, but I don't know. He's got a. Uh, I'll, I'll, Cam, tell me about the exploits of your ancestors. Well, let's see. My grandfather was a teacher who became a principal. I'm talking about <laughs> ancestors, like going oh, back going far, back. Like hundreds of years. I don't even know, honestly. <laughs> uh, same here. I have no clue. But Picard knows his uh, whole family history, so g- good on him. To be fair, doesn't it seem like Picard would be. Like a total twenty three and me guy, like he would be someone who would be lording over, um, like documents to look up what his ancestors were doing. Like you and I clearly don't have the interest to be doing that. I kind of buy from the point of view of a character that Picard would. Well, I just have a deep suspicion that my ancestors were the ones tilling soil for uh in fiefdoms, you know, like way back in the day. So, um, uh, Cam, uh, okay, one last thought for me. Maybe if you want to wrap up, uh, we can jump over to Strange New Worlds. But um, I was watching the main credits, and it felt a little bit spoilery because you know you see Isa Briones's name in there, Evan uh, Evagora's name in there. I'm just like, oh, I guess these folks are coming back somehow because whenever they're not in an episode they take their names out um their appearances were different than what i expected but the other very curious thing i saw was that uh, brent spiner got the and credit not not a special guest star but and brent spiner which i thought was um very very interesting is he the first one since well i guess since uh jerry ryan but i was gonna say since uh, uh, Michael Dorn to, you know, come back and get credited uh, as, you know, kind of a full-time star. Yeah, I'd say so. And I am going to be interested to see if they find a way to wedge him into season three as well. It'll be interesting. I'm sure the answer is yes, but here's the problem. You use that word wedge, and I think that's exactly what they want to do, is wedge him in somehow, whether it's organic or not. Yeah. Well, definitely. I mean, there's a lot of just wedging in of cast members uh, here with Isa Brionis as well. And I just want to pay tribute to Isa Brionis for a second because I thought she killed it as Sutra. I thought that character was awesome. So I know that Isa Brionis can be good if you give her the right material. I felt horrible for her for that scene where they made her thrash around in the water dramatically (laughs) i I was like look this this woman is a good actress it's not her fault you can only do so much with so little but this moment should not be making me laugh um cam i'm looking forward to the year 2024 where apparently drones can create like um sun shields um through some sort of magnetic fields yeah the future bro I mean, the only reason it's set in 2024 is because they could save money on production just by shooting it now versus had they set it in, say, 2044, you've got to now come up with, you know, technology and what have you. Um, I don't know what was going on with that. They should have had it. It should have been like in 1968. So it could have been actual Gary Seven, like uh, in this particular role. Who do we cast as Gary Seven? Orla Brady. (laughs) Yep. It's obvious. You yep. slap that like short-haired wig on her. I'm I'm sold. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um Cam, do you want to move on to Strange New Worlds or any final thoughts on episode 5 of season 2 of Star Trek Picard? I think my final thoughts are hopefully something more momentous happens next week. 
Yes, yes. I don't have any faith in that. I, I, you know, I'm, I'm kind of. It's not that I'm done with the show. It's just like, oh, this show. I, I don't have any confidence in the show any, any longer. So, uh, which is maybe good. Maybe the show can surprise me down the road. But right now, I, whatever the resolution is to everything going on, I don't think I'm going to be blown away. The best they can do is go, is make me go like, oh, okay, there you go. It feels like when it's all said and done, if it continues down this track, I won't look back at it as a you know, lousy season of Star Trek. It'll just be like one of those real middle-of-the-road kind of mediocre seasons that you don't really talk about that much. Like, you'd rather talk about the great stuff versus this. Like, yeah, it's just not grabbing me in the way it needs to. So it's no Discovery season four or three, though. I'll give it that. No, no I mean, I'd say it's better than, say, uh, TNG season one, uh, season two, you know. That's it, it, but Picard season one. Yeah, but yeah, that's true. But but beyond that, I don't know. Like, I I'd much rather watch uh, season one, season two easily of Deep Space Nine. I think those are uh, much stronger uh, outings uh, early on. And on, honestly, I don't think Voyager gets enough credit. It, its first three seasons were, were pretty strong for a series. I know people often think or point to Seven of Nine as kind of the turning point of the show, but I don't know. Seasons one through three of Voyager is all really about character-based storytelling, which this show just seems to utterly lack and, and disregard. Yeah, there's duds throughout early Voyager, just as there are in any early season of Star Trek, but it feels more consistent than most in understanding its characters right out of the gate. And so as much as you can like roll your eyes at stuff like the Neelix Kess jealousy over Tom Paris uh, storyline, there's some yeah, really... Neelix was very, very jealous of uh, Tom. You know, like, <laughs> He was. Uh, or... Yeah, yeah, it's, uh, yeah, uh, anyway, sorry. But no, like, there's still lots of great stories there, and I could easily sit down and rewatch season one or two of Voyager, and there would be no sense of impending dread there, as there would be, like, saying, Cam, you've got to sit down and rewatch, you know, these last two Discovery seasons, or even, like, um, you know, TNG season one. Well, it's because we know, like, uh, yeah, there might be, okay, so... TNG season one, you know, like, um, it's so wacky out there. Um, you'd be kind of fun to watch just from kind of like a uh, morbid curiosity sort of angle, you know, um, and you know that every subsequent episode, you're going to get something totally different. And it's kind of fun to see kind of the, the proto versions of these characters that we grew to love. And, and but with, with the last two seasons of Discovery, I'm just like, I, I don't know what I'm looking forward to is, you know, yeah. radioactive man boy you know, um, gaseous bubbles, like, okay, sure. With Picard, honestly, what I'm, I guess, looking the most forward to is wrapping up season three and just having a sense of what this was as a final farewell to Picard. I like how, like, you're looking forward to the show ending. That's what you're looking forward to most, is it no longer being on on TV? Well, they're stringing it out and not telling me anything. So ultimately, what I just really want to know is, what was it all about? Yeah, I, I don't think they even know. I yeah. don't think they know. So, okay, Cam, uh, we've got some, uh, you know, the, the marketing campaign for Strange New Worlds is kicking into high gear. We've been seeing, like, kind of a little character-focused uh, snippets going on. If you want to find them yourselves, because you haven't uh, been able to come across them yet, I, I think the easiest thing to do is go to Instagram, go to, I think it's, like, Star Trek uh, Paramount or something like that. You know, it's easy to find if you just search for Star Trek. Um. I'm having kind of like a little bit of mixed feelings on, on this marketing here. You know, there's like a couple character 
beats, you know, stuff with like that new character, uh, the Enar uh, Hammer. That seems interesting. Um, that man can grab a carrot that's uh, quickly <laughs> handed to him. Um, good on him. But um, other stuff, I'm just like, oh, it seems as if they really want to do yet another series that this ain't your daddy's Star Trek. But I'll, I'll reserve judgment. The thing is, you want to make distinctive characters. It seems as what they're doing. I, I'm okay with that. Um, and hopefully we don't have kind of the uh, the big trio of uh, number one Spock and uh, Pike, you know, kind of like outshining the supporting characters every episode. Um, that said, it looked like, I, I remember how cool the, the bridge and the corridors looked at the uh, finale of season two of Discovery when we're talking about the 1701 and we got to explore that ship for a little bit. It kind of had like this kind of cool burnt orange retro feel to it it seems as if they're trying to run away from that yet again and go more towards the uh, jj apple store kind of vision of the enterprise yeah which is an interesting choice um i don't know it's a bad choice yeah well i don't know that the um design of the jj um ship was hugely beloved so is it just because they want to try to draw in viewers who clearly weren't watching discovery and whatever and they're just trying to appeal to people who watch those movies the uh oh the jj movies yeah um i i I have no idea to me i just find it bizarre you you have all of this fan service going on in other media right but it seems as if like um kind of this kurtzman era stuff is often trying to run away from you know kind of the uh the the retro fun that you could have i I don't know maybe not i know because i I like the uniforms what they're doing with the uniforms but do you remember how one of the big complaints that we heard through the grapevine with regards to brian fuller the uh, co-creator of discovery is like he wanted more of that retro sort of look for the show like he had like twitter posts in which he was showing kind of um kind of colors for the new uniforms and there's going with the kind of more classic look that we saw in the tos and then they ended up going with like kind of the sexy blue jumpsuits instead you know i I just i don't know why there's this tendency sometimes to stay away from embracing kind of what could otherwise be kind of a a cool retro sort of look you know kind of that that burnt orange slash red color um i i think is distinctive and it, it would um like there's like little glimpse of glimpses of it in the marketing that we saw but not to the degree and i could be mistaken but not to the degree that we saw in that uh season two finale of discovery I wonder if um, <laughs> when this series is over, the final shot will be Spock painting the Enterprise. <laughs> <laughs> and ripping out all of the uh, high-tech uh, uh, consoles and panels and, uh, you know, really, uh, quote-unquote, retrofitting the ship uh, from there on out. And uh, Kirk walks in, sits down, and is like, this is more like it. I like the style. <laughs> Does finger guns at Spock. <laughs> What really jumped out to me was with these character showcases was that a lot of the characters felt very idiosyncratic, which is something I always loved on the original series, which is they were very specific types. And that's something that when you get to some of the um, Berman era stuff, there was characters they just never bothered to really figure out. Like if you were to show clips of Reed in a promo like this, would you be like, who that, you know, would you really get a good sense of who he is? Or would you be like... Well, he's got an accent, you know, a British accent. I guess he's got that. Whereas here, seeing characters like Dr. Mbenga and Hammer, you know, the Anar you referenced earlier, um, even the Noonie and Singh character, like, 
I got a real good sense of who they were and what they would kind of feel like on the show in 30 seconds, which props to them. I like how you called her the Noonien Singh character because, Cam, she has the dumbest first name in the world. Can you recall what it is? It's, it's not, it doesn't really roll off the tongue. Is it like La'an? It's like, I think it's, yeah, La'an or like La'ana. And it's like, or I think it is just La'an. And I'm like, are characters going to have to say La'an? Like for the course of like five, six seasons or something like that sounds like a terrible thing. Uh, if you're just trying to say somebody's name, it's very difficult to say. Maybe she'll just be like, just call me noon. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Nooner. What's up? <laughs> yeah. Like that was the one thing that really jumped out. Or, no, I know. We call her uh, La La Land or something. <laughs> that was one thing that really jumped out about this was just like the energy that all these characters were being portrayed at in these promos. And I'm down for it. Like, I'm really hoping these characters all just feel really vibrant and fun because that's my favorite thing about the original series. When they would do the other shows, they would be a little more downbeat with some of the character writing. And here I was like, this looks like it could be a lot of fun. And please just bring the fun back. Nothing against, well, a little bit against what Discovery and Picard have been doing. But like, I want the energy of this. And please, God... Whoever designed um, Anson Mount's hairstyle for this show, they need to get an Emmy. (laughs) (laughs) It's incredible. Do you remember, Tyler, back before um, uh, uh, Avengers, I think it was Infinity War. It might have been Endgame where there was like the promos with Jeremy Renner with like the very tall spiked hair that we were like cracking up about uh, off the podcast, but just among friends. Oh, of course. Yeah, that's what that Anson Mount haircut reminded me of. Okay, okay. Well, uh, uh, did you notice Spock's uh, uh, sideburns in in the uh, promos? Yeah, I did, yeah. They're giant. He's owning them. He's Okay, I mean, they, they go down almost to, like, uh, the, the bottom of his chin. To, like, he looks like Wolverine. He does. I'm looking at a photo of it now, and, I mean, Nimoy did have a different style of haircut in that cage pilot, so yeah. it looks like they're yeah. going back to that. And... Just seeing the footage of Spock back on, you know, Vulcan um, looks like taking part in, you know, the classic Ponfar battles, it seems. Um, elements like that just get me really excited. Like, this looks like a visually dynamic show. So, I, I know I shouldn't be this optimistic. I know I'm only, like, setting myself up for heartbreak, but I am so legitimately excited for this show. Okay, well, Cam... Other than magic to make the sanest man go mad, uh, what has been the funnest live-action episode of this new era of Star Trek? Well, I think Stardust City Rag is the... No, no. Um, Let me think here of the live-action. I would say maybe Despite Yourself, the first episode in the Mirror Universe of Discovery Mm -hmm. Season 1. The fact I'm naming two... um, episodes from season one discovery is telling though because once you get past that uh i would say nothing in seasons three or four discovery two i really liked if memory serves but i don't really regard that as like a super fun episode it was just very the previously on was maybe the best previously on i've ever seen should the this episode of picard opened with a previously on for assignment earth (laughs) that would have been amazing (laughs) okay um yeah, so I guess I don't have an answer Um, because uh, they didn't even have that much fun in um, this season of Picard in like the first episode they went back to L.A. So 
I don't know. The- they literally went to a casino planet in this past season of Discovery, and that, that episode is a real bummer. I think they might think that was the most fun episode as of late. I don't know. You're watching, like, a Washington get pulverized until she turns out to be pulling a fast... I don't know. That, that, that one. Oh, guess what, Cam? There's a changeling, and he can turn into a tribble. That's why I think they would say that is, like, a really fun episode. Like, when they're writing it, they're like, this is going to be fun. Yeah, but the problem is, you know, I think we both agree, that one just really dragged. Yeah, and I think they would also say the premiere of season three, where you had Burnham on her own meeting book and getting, like, high on drugs or something like that. Like, they would say that was fun, too, but eh. Eh, okay. So, yeah, make Star Trek fun again. That's what we're asking. I mean, they're doing it on Prodigy. They're doing it on Lower Decks, but yes, they need yeah, to bring that right, into the right. live-action realm. And they have done it in some of the short treks as well, so it's not like it's impossible, because the trouble with Edward I thought was fun, although it seems like a lot of people on IMDb disagree with me. But yeah, okay. uh, I, <laughs> I liked it a lot, too. Me too. Um, I don't, why don't you want to make Star Trek? Why is there this aversion uh, right now to making these some episodes just fun? I, I guess they want to strike like a consistent tone you know, from season to season, but... That's not what Star Trek's necessarily about, you know? And I would say it would make sense to me why they're pursuing that if this was the year, like, 2009, 2010, where, like, something like The Dark Knight has made so many ripples, and they're like, okay, people want sort of dark storytelling. Like, there was a whole bunch of movies that came out around that time period that were all kind of ripping that sort of vibe off, including Arrow. And... Now, though, we live in a Marvel world where people love those movies and they're comedic, they're fun, they're bright, characters that really pop. So I don't know why they think that like Star Trek has to be consistently kind of downbeat and moody. I don't really understand. It doesn't make any sense. It's not even like the most popular trend right now. Yeah. Well, uh, Cam, we'll still be back for uh, you know episode six of Star Trek Picard. Uh, we're coming very close to Strange New Worlds. You're pumped. Uh, I'm looking forward to it as well. Um, yeah, so uh, folks, if you can do us one favor, go to your favorite podcatcher, give us five stars, leaving us a review. It's even better for other people uh, finding us. Those algorithms, they can work their magic. It's free. That's all we ask. Give us a good review there if you uh, so choose to. Find us on Facebook at uh, facebook.com slash subspace pod. We're posting all, all our stuff there. Um, any final uh, thoughts here, Cam, just as we wrap up for the week? I hope the next episode of Picard gives us something interesting to dive into on the podcast, because that's my fear that this show is going to shortchange us on at this point, where we don't have a secondary Discovery episode or something to rely on. Cam, we need to get out of LA ASAP. Definitely. And we also need Strange New Worlds on the air, because then we can do Picard and Strange New Worlds in an episode. (laughs) Okay. Okay, you can, of course, find us on the Twitter I'm at Cam, V as in Violent Reaction to the Sun, Smith. And you can find me at Reportin, that's R-E-P-O-R-T-O-N-N as in Nooner, might be my new favorite character. Okay, so until next time, the arena is closed. Transfer complete.